Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's very clear that our readings this Sunday all focus on the fact of the resurrection from the dead, that there is a life after this world, after death, that the soul continues to live on. Human beings are immortal, at least in their souls, and that those who follow the Lord, who obey his commands, will be raised up, even their bodies will be raised up to everlasting life. But the one thing that I really focused on during this week in my prayer and meditation were the amazing similarities between the first reading and our gospel. There's some really profound similarities, right? If you were paying attention in the first reading we heard in the Old Testament about seven brothers and their mother who were all being tortured because the king was trying to force the Jews to eat pork, which is against Jewish law. And these brothers and mother suffered torment and ultimately death in order to follow the law of God. But they did so with hope because they believed in the resurrection. They believed that God who made them would give them back their life, would reward them for their fidelity to him. Now in our gospel, we again have seven brothers and another woman. This case, it's their wife. In the first case, it was their mother. And the story is set up from the context of, again, obeying God's law. In this case, the law was if your brother dies and doesn't have any children, the next brother down has to marry the wife and try to raise up children for his brother. Now, the first thing that is clear, again, just in regards to the comparisons, you've got seven brothers in the first story, seven brothers in the second. At the end of all the stories, everybody dies. <laughs> in the first story, the seven brothers and their mother die because they're murdered. They're murdered for the law. They're tortured by the king. In the second story, the seven brothers and the wife all die. We don't know how, but I do speculate maybe the wife was killing them. Because notice, after she married each of them, they somehow died. I think they call those black widows, right? So, no, we just assume they died of natural causes or some disease or something like that, right? They weren't murdered. They just died somehow. But the reason they all married the same woman was, again, because of God's command, God's law. First reading, it was the law not to eat pork. Second reading, the law to marry your dead brother's wife to raise up children for him. So just looking at these similarities and differences, we can begin to recognize some important lessons that God is trying to teach us. But the one thing I couldn't figure out this week for the life of me is why it's seven brothers and one woman. In the first story, it's their mother. Second story, it's their wife. So why seven men, seven brothers in particular, and one woman? I, I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. And even yesterday during confessions, I was praying. I was like, Lord, you've got to give me something. This is just beyond me. I'm not, I'm not seeing it. Then last night during Mass, during the Gloria, it just came to me. Just, just became very clear. You know, my initial thought when I couldn't figure out why there were seven brothers, seven men and one woman, was, well, maybe it's because it takes seven men to equal one woman, right? Ladies, what do you think? Is that, is that right? Is that feminist enough for you guys? I, I, I don't think that's correct. This is, this is what came to me last night at the Vigil Mass. Seven is a biblical number. It's what we call a divine number. It has theological meanings. And as I've preached on in the past, seven is the number of creation for 
fairly obvious reasons in the book of Genesis, it took God, or he took, seven days to create the universe and everything in it. Six days of work, one day of rest, but those are the days of creation. This is why we structure our time on weekly increments, seven-day increments. So seven has always been the number of creation. So these seven brothers in the first account and in the second represent creation, all of God's creation. And notice they're all related. So everything in creation is created and it's related in that sense. And in both instances, these seven brothers who represent creation are all about following God's commands, God's laws. In fact, they're willing to die to do it. So creation should always be submissive and obedient to the commands, to the teachings of God. Obviously, we don't have to follow the particular laws in these stories. We get to eat pork, thank God. And you don't have to marry your brother's wife if he dies without having kids. Some of you may have been concerned about that one. So these laws are no longer applicable. But the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, the laws of the Church of Jesus Christ, they continue to be applicable to us today. And so, as members of creation, we are required to be obedient, to be submissive to these laws. Throughout our life, whether we die of natural causes or whether we are threatened and tortured to death, we are not to break the laws of God even to the point of death. But what does the woman represent in both stories? The first story, it's the mother. Second story, it's the wife. What does the woman represent? Remember, she's the eighth person in the story, the eighth important person. And the number eight represents theologically not only the resurrection, but everlasting life, heaven. So the woman in both stories symbolizes heaven. And how does she do this? Well, in the Old Testament, the number eight did not symbolize heaven. It's only in the New Testament that we learn this. And the reason is quite simple. When Jesus rose from the dead, remember he died on a Friday, he was buried, he was in the tomb throughout all of Saturday, and then he rose from the dead early Sunday morning with the rising of the sun. Now Sunday in the old calendar was the first day of the week. In the old world, in the Jewish world, the week went from Sunday, the first day, to Saturday, the last day. Saturday was the old Sabbath. We changed this rule when Christ rose from the dead on a Sunday. Now the week begins on Monday and ends on Sunday. But that was not the case in the Old Testament times. So Sunday, technically the first day of the week in the old calendar, was always understood by the fathers of the church as the eighth day of the week. Why? Again, the number seven represents creation. When Jesus rises from the dead, that is a new creation. Something has changed on this new day. You see, the old creation understood death. It's a natural part, sadly, because of sin. But the seven days of normal creation, death is a normal part of that. So when Jesus rises from the dead, he changes everything. So that first day of the week, Sunday, has become a totally new day. And if you add that new day to the previous days of creation, you get eight. 
which is why the fathers always realized that eight was the number of resurrection and the number that symbolized heavenly glory. So in this story, again, we have the seven brothers of creation, all following the law of God. The, the mother in the first, the wife in the second, who symbolizes eternal life, resurrection from the dead. All of them end up dying in the end, but according to both stories, all are testified as having received heavenly glory because of their fidelity to the laws of God. In both instances, we have to remember it's so important for us because we want the resurrection from the dead. We have to follow the laws of God, the commands of God. That's the requirement that's placed upon us. But the reason it is so difficult for us to do that, the reason it is so hard for us to follow those laws is because in the moment when the law becomes difficult, when the law is going to require us some semblance of suffering, the idea of the resurrection is not enough motivation to get me to do it. Which means my belief in the resurrection, my hope in the resurrection, is minimal at best. When we look at the great saints and the martyrs of the church, we admire them so much, and, and God willing, we hope to be like them, precisely because they were willing to go much further than the average person for their love of God, to obey his commands. How did they do this? It wasn't magic. God didn't just sprinkle pixie dust upon them and suddenly they could do these amazing things. They struggled day after day with God's grace, of course, to grow in their faith in the resurrection from the dead. What changed the apostles from being terrified a few days before the resurrection, hiding in the upper room, to suddenly going out on the streets and preaching and not worried about anything at all? They saw Jesus risen from the dead, and they thought, if he can come back from the dead, I don't have to worry about death. I don't have to worry about death anymore, or sickness, or pain. I can come back from everything. It's all temporary. It's all passing away. I struggle, and I, I speak for myself, I struggle in those moments to obey the commands of God because it's going to hurt. I'm going to suffer. I don't like it. And so I'm willing in those tempting moments to set aside, to dismiss the teachings, the laws, the commands of God because it's easier in the moment. And that's a weakness of faith on my part. Imagine how quickly the world would change if every moment of my life, every moment of your lives, wherever you were, non-Christians saw how patiently you suffer, how forgiving you are with your enemies. They might think you're a little crazy, but they will admire you. Just like the king in our first reading, he must have thought these Jewish men were fools for suffering and dying just because their God told them not to eat pork. But we are told that this king and his attendants marveled at the men's courage. They marveled at it. 
Why do you think there were so many converts in the early church with the apostles? I might not attain to the heights of that degree of courage, but I certainly marvel at it and admire it, and I do want to be more like that. So in your lives, just think of the most recent thing that happened this past week, that, that one time in which you knew God was telling you to do this or to do that, and yet you, you just refused to do it. You just said, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to suffer that. I'm sure it happened more than once, if you're like me. <laughs> just think of the one time. And consider for a moment, why didn't I do it? Why did I say no to the Lord in that moment of suffering? If you're honest, you'll admit, I didn't think I should have. I didn't think it was fair. I didn't think it was just. I had already suffered enough. I mean, you fill in the blank with whatever excuse, like me, you prefer to use. I had earned this right to say no. And this admirable man in their first reading, they are prepared to cut off his tongue and his hands. And what does he do? He extends them and says, go ahead. I despise even this body for the love of God's law. And trust that if you take it from me, God will give it back. It's because of his faith that he had such courage such daring. And so for ourselves, we have to pray, not so much for an increase of faith, but a purity of faith. Just that simple trust in the word of God, that if we obey his commands, if we suffer in this life patiently for love of God and those commands, then we need fear nothing Truly nothing, because we know he will raise us on the last day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.